Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. On today's episode of GIST Healthcare Daily, we profile a unique collaboration between two former competitors, a rural North Dakota critical access hospital and a community health center. And we explore whether or not it can be replicated in other communities. It's Monday, March 15th, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines in health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find the show. The pandemic has just made the situation worse for many rural hospitals. A recent report by the Chartist Center for Rural Health found nearly half of rural hospitals are operating in the red, and more than 450 are vulnerable to closure. The federal government just dedicated $8.5 billion in aid specifically to rural providers in the latest COVID relief bill. This money will surely help, but to make health care sustainable in rural America, you have to think outside the box, as Daryl Birch did. He was the CEO of Sakakawea Medical Center, based in central western North Dakota. He left the position in January, but is still helping with strategic planning. The 13-bed critical access hospital in Hazen serves about 15,000 people in hunting and fishing lands, as well as part of the Bakken oil fields. Back when Birch started running that hospital, there was stiff competition with the local federally qualified health center called Coal Country Community Health Center. You know, there was competitiveness that was that was in place there for patients, for market share, for workforce, for all of those. And in fact, in the community of Beulah, the provider-based rural health clinic of the hospital was actually located just a couple of blocks away from the community health center. Then in 2011, Coal Country's CEO abruptly left, and Birch stepped in and became CEO of both organizations. It was a bit unconventional, but they got approval from the federal government. And that triggered both organizations to reevaluate what services they were providing and how to better work together. We took a step back, kind of regrouped. We looked at how services are being provided within our communities and how could we do that more efficiently and effectively, and then just propose some different solutions to the boards and to our staff on how we could do things differently and do things better. And of course, I'm an expert only within my own mind. So one of the things that we ended up doing was securing an outside consultant to come in, which would be an unbiased 
um, opinion coming in and taking a look at our organizations, someone that was familiar with the health center program, the hospital program, et cetera, and to support um, the decisions and the things that we were contemplating doing to make ourselves, again, uh, better deliverers of health care to our communities. To be clear, this was not a merger. The two organizations remained separate entities, but they shared Birch as a CEO. And there were a few board members that served on both boards. He says this is a really important point because it ensured both organizations he was acting in both of their best interests. It just made sure that there was total transparency between the two organizations. And um, even though, you know, in, in, in my humble opinion, I don't think I needed to make sure that Um, I was giving the same message to each organization. It just made sure that that whether it's the CEO, whether it's the medical providers, the the governance, that we were all focused on the true target, and that is the patient to make sure that their needs are being taken care of so that our, our mission and our vision is driven around patients at the forefront, not competitiveness between the organizations. And this governance model that we established, I think, really really helped make sure that we were going to stay on the right path. Birch said the organizations looked for ways to be more efficient and save money. First, they were now only paying for one CEO. They started sharing an IT infrastructure, and then came the more difficult task of deciding how to rationalize duplicative services, which meant closing the hospital's rural health clinics. Had all of primary care go through the health center, those Uh, providers then became employees of the health center versus employees of the hospital. And so, you know, we just repurposed or put a different brand on their name tag. They were still providing the same services to their same patients, but they were now doing it as a health center employee instead of um, a hospital employee. And certainly some of those dynamics took some time to build trust to give people a comfort level that we are doing the right things in in transitioning this organization to collaboration and not have that independence with each organization that we that we had and that competitive that was competitiveness that was in place but we had to make sure to get buy in from providers from staff and from our governance to make sure that you know we were doing the right things and there was a comfort level with how we were doing it Fast forward several years later, and both organizations, which kept their finances separate, are both doing better. Birch says the two organizations didn't end up providing any new services, but they did use savings to expand and upgrade facilities. I asked him if he thinks this model could be replicated by other rural hospitals and community health centers. I know of many rural communities whereby our model could be replicated, whereby the hospital and the health center should work together more collaboratively and do a better job of sharing resources rather than being competitive. So there are rural communities where, again, where our model could be duplicated. But nonetheless, uh, there are pieces of the collaboration that we're doing that could certainly be beneficial in, in other communities, whether it's, again, the integrated governance model or the sharing of other staff, the sharing of a, of a CEO. You know, there are different pieces that might be applicable to other communities. This is all dependent on leadership at the local level. 
That's Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President with the National Rural Health Association. Both hospitals and community health centers are members of the advocacy group. Slaybaugh, a former hospital administrator, says bringing together normally competitive healthcare organizations under one umbrella is not for the faint of heart. Because there's risk. I mean, if I'm going to invest dollars and, and uh, time in an effort, I don't want it to go south because of circumstances I have no control over. It would require really enlightened leadership of one of the organizations or the other to step down. That's, that's a big step. To understand this competition, we need to take a few steps back. Most healthcare providers in this country are still paid per service, and rural areas have smaller populations and therefore less volume. So the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services created cost-based reimbursement models for rural hospitals and rural health clinics. The government also created federally qualified health centers in the 1960s as part of the war on poverty. These health centers get federal dollars to provide care on a sliding fee scale to both uninsured and insured patients. Nonetheless, in some areas, these entities still compete for small volumes of patients. Slaybaugh says there are some other circumstances of collaboration. He's aware of at least two FQHCs, one in West Virginia and another in New Hampshire, that have bought critical access hospitals. There's nothing in the regulations that would preclude them from buying or assuming operation of a critical access hospital. Now, that can't be flipped and you can't do it the other way. And I think that frustrates a lot of CHs. Uh, I don't think it does. I know it does. But an FQHC can buy and hold uh, a CAH. And, th- and there's two or three examples of those in the nation. Again, though, those are, as you might expect, they're very complicated because, you know, you've got to have leadership that's willing to, to subsume themselves underneath an or- another organization. But Slaybaugh says these collaborations are still the exception and not the rule. And he says big picture, if we want rural health care to be more sustainable, it requires broader change. If you really want to change the healthcare system in rural America, change the way that we're paid. That's starting to happen. CMS is piloting a program called the Pennsylvania Rural Health Model, which started in 2019. The agency is dedicating $25 million in funding to allow rural hospitals in the state to operate on a fixed global budget that facilities get in advance to cover all care. The idea here is that if they can count on predictable funding, then they can focus on services that will most benefit the community, rather than which will bring in the most reimbursement. The CMS Innovation Center is set to roll out a similar model called the Chart Model for 15 organizations starting this year. Slaybaugh says this shift is partially driven by the broader shift to outpatient care. As the Chartist Center for Rural Health found, three-quarters of rural hospital revenue comes from outpatient care. That's a big shift, says Slaybaugh. Now, when I got into the business in the late 80s, that was inverted. I had 25% outpatient, 75% inpatient. So you can see how, how our business has changed over time. And that has had an impact on a more primary care focus for our rural facilities and, and hospitals. Another change, he says, is that healthcare providers of all kinds worked really closely together during the depths of the pandemic out of necessity. And he's watching to see if more collaborations will spring up organically. I'm not sure how the pandemic is going to change the relationships between FQHCs and rural hospitals. It, it has really, I think, altered a way a lot of us think about the delivery of services and 
you know, how we're organized to do that. So I'm going to be curious to see how that may help uh, in some of these areas to mitigate some of the tensions that have existed. Because during the pandemic, obviously, especially through the summer when we saw some huge upticks in utilization in rural areas, it was overwhelming in many, many places. Believe me, they weren't worried about who's doing what, where, and when. That was Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President with the National Rural Health Association, and Daryl Birch, former CEO of Sakakawea Medical Center and Coal Country Community Health Center in North Dakota. Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on GISTHealthcare.com. GIST Healthcare Daily is an independent production of GIST Healthcare. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.